0: Well, it is very satisfying, and we've been fortunate to have a decent amount of success this legislative session in various states, advancing legislation that does impact and improve the lives of the people around us. I've got a a young four-year-old boy and a a two-year-old daughter, and so it's great to go out and, and, and do the chores with them and engage them in livestock. And I really enjoy that. I think that uh, one, one piece that I really love about rural communities is that sense of independence. There is space here. Uh, there's a low cost of living. There are open buildings. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to pursue something, you can make it happen. There aren't as many drawbacks. I know some people may be worried about living far away from restaurants or living far away from the movie theater. For other people, they have a dream or they have a business idea and they want to pursue it. And I think a rural area can do that for you.
1: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. On farm-to-table talk. We had a lot of people that have a somewhat romantic view, in a way, of country living, of how things used to be and they, how they hope to they be in country. Uh, a lot of rural America has had some a rough spell, dealing with all kinds of issues, and and some people wring their hands about it and say, "Gee, I wish things were different." Well, there are some bright spots across the country. There are some. Organizations that have gotten established, some nonprofit organizations, there's individual efforts, there are things going to address. Say, here's our needs in rural America, and we're going to be able to address them. And today we're going to talk about that because I have the policy director for the Center for Rural Affairs, Jonathan Haladik. Jonathan, welcome to Farm to Table Talk.
0: Thank you, Roger. Uh, we love your show here and we're glad to join.
1: Uh, You know what? I sure appreciate that. I was, you know, I've been out to Nebraska several times. It's it's the heart of agriculture. Everybody thinks they're at the heart of agriculture. You do have in Nebraska a lot of the state would have to still be considered rural. And there's been so many conversations that. Rural is not what it used to be in some respects. I mean, there's people that have been stressed out with the, the communities haven't been as strong as they used to be a lot of issues. Explain to me what your organization is and just give us an idea on kind of the, the broad areas that you try to address as far as the quality of living and the issues faced in rural
0: areas. Well, that's right, Roger. There have been a lot of changes, but with that brings a lot of opportunity. And that's what we try to focus on here the most at the Center for Rural Affairs. We've, we've been around for about 50 years. We're a private, independent nonprofit with offices in a, a few different offices here in Nebraska. And then we also have staff members in Minnesota and South Dakota and an office in Iowa. And at the center, we have three key programs. We have a small business lending program, So if you're a rural entrepreneur looking to get a start, we can help you with some lending and with some technical assistance. And we also do community building through our farm and community program. And then lastly, I'm I'm the director of our policy program. And uh, through policy, we do uh, state policy in Nebraska and Iowa. And we also do federal policy. And when we talk about federal policy, we're talking a lot about economic development and farm policy through the farm bill.
1: So in your case, are you covering uh, several states then? It sounds like you're operating outside of Nebraska, obviously, but is it just
0: in that region, that upper Midwest region? Well, we have supporters in all 50 states, which means we have individuals who are making small dollar contributions to us and on our newsletter list and engaged in some of our policy work in all 50 states. But if you were to look at where our footprint is the biggest, it would be Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And that's where we really try to focus our work. It's hard to be active on state policy in every state legislature in all 50. And it's also hard to build a relationship with the office of all the congressional delegation of all 50 states. And so what we try to do is narrow that down a little bit to where we're strongest. And then that also helps us be most responsive to this this demographic.
1: So, you know, if you're going to be doing something like this, um, you know, I, I, it makes sense to me that you're not necessarily uh, at 50 Rock in Manhattan, that, you you know, you actually are 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 living in um in the middle of 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 the space that you're you're working in uh and and are are you in a a medium-sized town as your your base of operations or is everybody virtual
0: you know that's right roger we're very proud of that authenticity uh right now i'm in lyons which is where our home office is located it's a town of 850 people in rural eastern nebraska I, uh, I myself have a have a small farm about ten miles down the road, and uh, spend a lot of time out there every time I can. Um, when we look for people to hire and to bring into the organization, you always look for that connection to rural America. Um, that credibility is what makes us what makes us do what we do. Uh, it's hard to talk about rural policy with elected officials if we're not rural ourselves, and and that's in the back of our mind at all times. And we try very hard to keep that at the forefront.
1: You know, you make me feel like a big city guy now because um, uh, I grew up on a farm, but it was three miles outside of a of a town of 2,700. So, with 800, <laughs> you know, we were by comparison in Farmington, a, a bustling, you know, city of, of some sort. And when you bring people into your team then… They're just in various locations. They may be in small towns, or farms, or cities. Or uh, have they been working virtually even before it became fashionable?
0: Some have. We have our our main office here in Lyons has about room for about twenty five staff members, and we have about fifty staff members in the whole organization. Uh, so this this office has 25. Our office in Iowa is another four or five. And a couple offices in here in Nebraska are, are also about four or five. But the remainder, the remaining uh, 20 or, or 17, 18 people, they are in remote offices. They are working from home and they are connected to us digitally and uh, we've been really fortunate for many of them that have a good broadband connection. I know not everybody in rural America can say that, but we've been able to make it work. And, uh, and to be a member of those communities, I think is really important for the work we're doing.
1: And we ought to follow up on that because there's a lot of people that that point out that we don't have the broadband connections, and it's really what's holding back a lot of parts of, of the state. So you're you're fortunate if if your folks can get good bandwidth to be able to do work like you and I are having this conversation on Zoom this morning. And you can always tell when to try to reach out and do Zoom with some of our friends in, in agriculture across the country. Some don't have very good connections, and they freeze up on you and have little static and so forth. That's just a reminder that so much we take for granted now on bandwidth doesn't extend
0: through all of rural America. Well, that's true. And one, one benefit of working here is that we actually help employees pay for their broadband. And if so, if, uh, if, if there's a, a, a way to get it, that costs a bit more money, maybe through your cell phone carrier, or maybe through a booster pack, or maybe through some other connection, we're really committed to helping that employee get it. So if it's not easy to find, if they don't have it right away, we do what we can to make sure we can facilitate it and make sure we can connect them. And so far, we've been able to make it work, but uh, fingers crossed.
1: I can't imagine coming to coming to work with a, a job this noble and this broad uh, because it's, uh, it's just like, oh, almost overwhelming of all you could do. When I, if I thought about going back to rural areas I'm familiar with, and if I was coming in and just kind of look around talking to people and say, well, how are things going and how could we make it better? And um, so how can our organization either affect Legislation, affect information, give you other ideas or training or something like this. it it would just seem to me that there's so much that you can do that that whole process of trying to identify what rural America needs, and then taking a course of action, um, it seems like, Jonathan, you could be overwhelmed with opportunities.
0: <laughs> there is a lot of opportunity out there and there's no question. We've been fortunate to have a, an active board. Our board is rural based. These are leaders in rural communities. And so we're really glad to have their input and they help us kind of narrow down the issues to look at and and, and and help us target where we'd like to do the work the most. Uh, one benefit of being so grassroots-based is that we're working with community leaders. And oftentimes, part of being authentic is making sure that we can follow them to where they want to go, respond to the needs they have, and, 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 and allow them to lead us in that sense. And so uh, we rely very heavily on individuals who are a leader in their community to identify a problem, willingness to pursue that problem, and then we help them come with a plan to get that done. And so that that does, at the end of the day, help us narrow it a little bit. But, you know, like every organization, there are some issues we wish we had more time to work on than others. But we do the best with what we have.
1: Jonathan, one of the things that got my attention is that uh, that you were wading in and taking a position about having local meat processing uh, plants. Um, you know there's been a, there was some attention this last year with the the pandemic of the huge packing plants and and the challenges that that they had but then we've also heard a lot of people just didn't have alternatives to get their livestock processed other than going into some of those large large plants and 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 I hear that pretty much across the country and i'm curious how that came up on your radar screen as an area that you wanted to support and and how are you trying to trying to help that process along so that um, local livestock operations may have an alternative to be able to get meat processed
0: well i i livestock myself and i direct market that livestock to the consumer and so uh using hogs as an example, uh, I raise Berkshire hogs and I sell them by the half when they're ready to process. And so that gives me occasion to spend a lot of time at processing facilities. And and by this, I mean uh, a local meat locker in a small town uh, employing 10 or fewer people serving a diversified farms in the area. And so uh, I found that I wasn't able to get appointments to process the meat that i was i was producing and that's a big problem for me because as someone who relies on direct marketing i need i look at that processor as my partner they are my number one partner i need them to be able to be there and to be able to process when the animal is ready and put together a very good quality clean product and then deal with the customer on that end for the processing instructions etc and so i myself was having a hard time getting appointments and then uh and going to the various lockers, I was able to visit with some of the owners there and some of the employees there. And I was able to get a sense of what they're dealing with, uh, what they're struggling with and why that's happening and what they're seeing. And then finally, what could fix that? And so that that, that, that gave us a thread to follow. And so we ended up uh, taking much more substantial steps to cast that net a bit wider. We um, got on the phone and got on an email and contacted processors throughout Nebraska and Iowa just to get that same answer from them. What are you seeing? What are you looking at? What can help fix this problem? And, and that got us where we are today on this issue. And and there's
1: some activity taking place both in state legislatures and uh, in Congress, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, in Congress, we worked with uh, Representative Pingree and Representative Fortenberry and, and a few others to draft and introduce the Strengthening Local Processing Act. And what that does is it makes a few policy tweaks to current regulations that will make it easier for processors to function and easier for them to get a start. And it also addresses some of the capital challenges and workforce training challenges that we know many processors are experiencing. Uh, Here in Nebraska, we worked with uh, Senator Tom Brandt and 19 other co-sponsors to introduce LB324 which would uh, allow, uh, make it much easier for a livestock producer like myself to sell directly to a consumer. And then it also creates a grant program to help with some of those capital challenges. And then in Iowa, we work with Representative Engels on HF 857, which creates a grant program to help with some of those capacity challenges.
1: You know, you really got my attention when you're talking about this issue, because I th- I know it's a really serious issue. It comes up everywhere around the country, but you also got my attention when you're talking about Berkshires. I mean, I, <laughs> I know something about Berkshires, and for those that are listening that don't know, they're, they're a breed that their nose is turned up. There's there's some breeds, if their noses are turned up, you think oh, they got rhinitis, but uh, but in the case of Berkshires, not. That's one of the distinguishing features, the black, they got perky ears. And they really have a good reputation for their meat quality. And, and one of the things I think about, Jonathan, when you're doing this locally, it's ironic that probably more than a decade ago, um, Berkshires were getting a reputation in particularly Japan, if I remember right, to be, um, to be exported. And that some of the really, really top restaurants would, would brag about having Berkshire Pork, and um, and I'm just getting this image that you're talking about a, a rural area, and that you're able to provide Berkshire, and and I'm just thinking about how how strange the world is that uh, that's it has that uh, you can be in the town of 850 and enjoy this great Berkshire quality mm-hmm. pork uh, that. People were paying uh, $75 a plate to enjoy at a high-rise in Tokyo 10 years ago. <laughs> That's
0: right. It's one of the big benefits of living in a rural area, isn't it?
1: Now, I, I wonder about that. So let's talk uh, quickly about that farming kind of operation. So when you, you're you processing the Berkshires that you grow and other farmers are doing the same thing, are you selling them online? Or are you... Uh, are, are you taking care? Are they just going to uh, a a local area? Are they frozen or fresh? How does that work?
0: Well, I'm a, we, we live about one hour North of Omaha, which is a pretty large customer base. And so what I'll do is I'll typically market online and, and, I'll, I'll sell halves that way. Um, usually I have recurring customers. And so I have individuals who come back every nine months or so, and they would like another half. And a half is only about 100 pounds in your freezer. So it's not a whole lot of meat. Mm-hmm. But uh, every nine months or so, maybe every 12 months for some, these recurring customers uh, tell their friends and they go back time and time again. And, uh, and it's a great business model. I also sell some uh, individual retail cuts through the Nebraska Food Cooperative. I'm fortunate to have a USDA inspected facility about uh, 30 minutes from my home. And so I can go there. And if someone wants to just buy a package of pork chops or buy a pork shoulder roast, I can sell that way. And that is completely online through that co-op.
1: So when you do the USDA plant, uh, otherwise is it a challenge for you to sell into say like Iowa or Minnesota when you live in Nebraska? Uh, uh, you know, Cause some states have uh, regional agreements. That in addition to what can be done for state inspection, I think maybe Ohio is like that, that they can also do Indiana and Kentucky. And the three states are kind of uh, working out some sort of arrangement so that they're not exactly USDA, but they're kind of a regional uh, inspection sort of approach.
0: Yeah, that's right. And this actually touches the LB 324 that we helped draft here in Nebraska. Uh, We're not a state inspection state here. So we only have USDA inspected. And if you're not USDA inspected, then you're custom exempt. And, and when you're custom exempt, I can't sell cuts. Um, I'm not going to be able to sell those individual pieces. I'm going to have to sell the live animal on its hoof um, and then sell in big chunks. If I'm talking about, uh, I also have some feeder cattle. If I'm talking about a steer, I have to sell one fourth of that steer. And frankly, some people don't have the freezer space for that. And so there are some big impediments to to, to small farmers like me when you think about trying to reach a greater audience. It's so easy for a consumer just to waltz into a Walmart and buy that low quality meat. It's cheap and it's efficient and, uh, and and it probably tastes fine if you put enough spices on it. But for me, I'm really interested in getting more of my product on plates. And to do that, there are some different uh, policy changes you need to make, including supporting some of these local processing facilities.
1: Well, you know, that that's a really good point because I've run into some operations back in Pennsylvania where they were uh, so many people wanted to get lamb processed. And, uh, but the way they had to do it was that somebody would have to take title to the live lamb and then custom slaughter in their own name and get the whole lamb. And so it's just really, really awkward. You said something else I got to ask about. You said like walks, waltz into a a Walmart. Um, When you get into further in rural areas, one of the things that keeps coming up is that the stores that are available tend to be say like dollar general, which I'm not badmouthing and it just is that that's not where you think of that has a fresh meat counter and butchers that answer your questions and explain how these berkshire pigs were fed um and is that become any part of an issue too because you know you're only an hour away from omaha which has everything there is and from whole foods to walmart to everybody else but as you get out into the rural areas um you know, my impression is that there's not as the variety of supermarkets uh, offered. Um, I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere. I don't, uh, but, but to what extent do you find that even the, the system that you have to either look at the, the stores that are available and the other kind of things that are, that, that have impede development and the availability of services that might be available in, in cities.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're going with that, and you know, for us, it's a matter of you know understanding those for what they are, and then trying to do better. And so, if there is a uh, if there is a, a chain store selling very low quality product at a very low price, I have to think about what I can do that's better that will attract that consumer. Uh, one, I'm local. Two, it tastes better. Three, there's an element of customer service and choice involved. And so, I have to look at how I can I can you know, approach all three of those to make sure I'm there and then interest that customer base in doing something that may seem at first a little bit inconvenient. If you don't have freezer space, you don't have freezer space and you can't buy half a hog and you certainly cannot buy a quarter steer. And so uh, going back to some of the legislation that we're working on, if you can increase the amount of processing facilities that can process uh, just by the cut, and you can sell just by the cut, or maybe you can sell bundles. If you can smell, sell sell a, a small bundle of meat for, you know, twenty five pounds, maybe that's something that even with your even with your refrigerator freezer you can handle. And so they have changed the economy in rural areas, and it's unfortunate that so much capital is leaving rural areas because of them. But at the end of the day, um, it's capitalism and it's America, and so there's got to be a way to find a business to go above and beyond that, and that's what we need to do.
1: Jonathan uh, from your perspective what you're involved with and you're doing some farming you're doing this work uh, as well and you know we and you're living north of north of Omaha and what makes you feel best about where you are with your journey right now I mean how do you how do you feel uh, about uh, you know addressing these issues but also uh, you're kind of you're living the life that many people feel like they'd like to they'd like many people would like to come to a more rural area uh, and and have some combination of being mission involved and be involved in agriculture um how do you feel about where you are right now and then you look ahead what what is there to encourage others to to pursue a, a life in the country again
0: well it is very satisfying and we've been fortunate to have a decent amount of success this legislative session in various states advancing legislation that does impact and improve the lives of the people around us. I've got a, I've got a young four-year-old boy and a, a two-year-old daughter. And so it's great to go out and, and, and do the chores with them and engage them in livestock. And I really enjoy that. Um, I think that uh, one, one piece that I really love about rural communities is that sense of independence. Um, there is space here. Uh, there's a low cost of living. There are open buildings. If you want to be an entrepreneur, and you want to pursue something, you can make it happen. There aren't as many drawbacks. I know some people may be worried about living far away from restaurants or living far away from the movie theater. Uh, And for other people, they just like to work. For other people, they have a dream or they have a business idea and they want to pursue it. And I think a rural area can do that for you.
1: You know, Jonathan, I got to tell you. Last night, I was on Clubhouse. I'm trying on Clubhouse, which is a drop-in audios. and And I went into this room of something called like soul sucking jobs, and there must there were hundreds of people from all over North America, uh, in particular, in that in that particular room. That were having conversations about uh, uh, again the title of the club uh, that clubhouse room was called soul sucking jobs. And as we speak, I I reflect back on that and think there were a lot of people that said, you know what, I trade places with Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) That they're from very, you know, they're they're rushing, they're spending an hour and a half in a commute and thinking, I wish I could have my two year old and four year old help me with chores and be outdoors and and have the satisfaction of helping an area and, and growing livestock. So you're living the life, Jonathan.
0: Well, we, we'd love to have him out here. There's no question about that.
1: Jonathan, if people would like to um, know more about the, about the Center for Rural Affairs, how did they find that information?
0: Well, you can find us at cfra.org, and you can find information about all of our programs there. There should be a tab specifically for policy work, and if you have any questions about that, you can reach out to myself or any other policy staff members you see on the website.
1: Well, Jonathan Haladek, I really appreciate your taking the time. I like what you're doing. I wish you the best. I, I hope you have progress on all these projects because a lot of people are counting on you. So thanks for being on Farm to
0: Table Talk. I really enjoyed it today, Roger. Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or go to iTunes to subscribe and give us a review and a rating. Thanks for listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.